Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star as we continue this series called One Another. 52 times in the New Testament, the phrase one another is mentioned. Why? Because God knew that we were going to live in community. We were going to live around other people. We were going to stride around other people. And we've got to know how to make this thing work. So I want you to do me a favor today. Take your uh, Bibles. Take your Bibles. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to camp out, look at a passage. You also should have gotten a little uh, brochure on your way in that has notes in it. If you have your phone and you go to the app store, go to North Star Church, Georgia, and all the notes are in there. So let me tell you who today is for, okay? If you live with someone else, you're around other people, would you raise your hand like you live somewhere and there's other people in the residence? Okay, today's for you. If you, how many of you have a family of some sort? All right, raise your hand. You may not live here, but you got a family. Okay, it's today's for you. How many of y'all work around other people? All right, raise your hand. You work around other people. How many of y'all have other people that you're around that don't think like you sometimes? Raise your hand, okay? So if none of that applied to you, I don't really know what to tell you. All right, you can go now. You get a get-out-of-jail-free card. We'll give, you the, we'll give you the Sunday off. I think this applies to everybody. The purpose of today is to talk about this piece of one another that's one of the hardest pieces. What do we do when we don't see eye-to-eye with somebody? What do we do when someone doesn't think like us or they don't act like us or they don't respect us? Because let's just, let's just get it out on the table right here at the start. The world would be a much better place if everybody in the world was just like us. Would y'all agree with that? I mean, everybody would be happier. Everybody would get along better. But the reality is we're all different. And if you live even in, within a family context, if you're a parent, how many of y'all are parents? Raise your hand, all right? Your kids are different, right? Even your children, they come out of the womb. Ann and I, I've told the story here before, but Ann and I had Casey, was our firstborn, and we would look at Casey when he was growing up and say, Casey, you disappointed us, and a little tear would come out of his eye, and it would start coming down the cheek, and we're like, this parenting thing, then the people make this out, this is nothing. And then Mary Michael came, all right? And so Mary Michael joined the scene. We tried the same parenting tactic with her. About three years old, Mary Michael, we're so disappointed in you. And I remember the day she looked me in the eye and said, I'm disappointed in you too. And I thought, all right, this is gonna be, it's gonna be a little different upbringing, right? Because people are different than us. We react differently, we act differently, and God cares about it. We are gonna talk today about how do we learn to live at peace with other people. Not, not how do we get world peace, not what we're talking about today. We're talking about within our scope worlds, within the worlds that we live in, in our offices, on our teams, in our dorms, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. How do we learn to live at peace with everyone? You know, on, on a weekend that we celebrate a great peace leader, Dr. Martin Luther King, and he, he had this quote. He said, peace cannot be kept by force it can only be achieved by understanding, and that is true. Today is the process. So right at the top of your outline, I'm going to give you two things, okay? Here's what peace isn't. Ready? Peace is not avoiding a problem. So I think sometimes we hear, well, i got to live at peace. So Mike's going to tell me today to just avoid problems. 
I've got to just avoid it. I've got to walk away from it. I got to, if I feel like there's conflict coming, then I've got to go the other direction. Well, that's not reality. Peace isn't avoid them, oh, avoiding a problem. That's avoidance. It's not peace. It's, it's running away, but it's not peace. Peace isn't avoiding a problem. But the second thing of that is peacemaking is not being a doormat. So it's not saying that you got to roll over and just take it from everybody and let people run over you. Because I think our tendency sometimes is to, to throw our backs back a little bit and go, hey, listen, man, I'm all about living at peace, but I'm not going to be somebody's doormat. I'm not going to let people in my office run over me. I'm not going to let my roommate run over me. I'm not going to let my spouse run over me or my friends run over me. i got to bow my back. That's, that's not what peace is. Peace is so much bigger than that. This is the way Paul said it in the book of Romans. Do all that you can to live in peace. Now help me out with that last little phrase. With who? Who does it say? Do all that you can, help me out again, to live at peace with who? Okay. That means people that you may be at peace with or have to seek peace with don't look like you, think like you, believe like you, act like you, come from the same place as you. Their color may be different. Their political affiliation may be different. Their favorite team may be different. Their friends may be different. See, what Paul was saying to this early church wasn't live at peace with everyone who's just like you. That's not what he said. He said we've got to learn to live at peace with everyone because here's what he knew. When we as followers of Christ, for those of us that believe, when we don't live at peace with people, it makes people not interested in Jesus or church. Does that make sense to everybody? So all throughout the New Testament, you read this word unity all the time. Do you know that I know more people that don't go to church because they know somebody who goes to church than any other reason? And they go, why would I want to go to church? I know them, and I know how they act. I know how they, I know how they do business. I know how they are in the office. I know how they are, blah. I, I'm not interested in church. In fact, the subject church came up to the other day with a good friend of mine, and I, we were talking about something. And he goes, yeah, 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 I know what you've told me about this person, but this is who I know him to be. That's why Paul said we've got to live at peace with everyone. Well, it wasn't just Paul, the apostle that wrote about it. Jesus talked about it. Matthew chapter 5. Would y'all stand with me? Let's read this today. Matthew chapter 5. We'll start reading down in verse 23. Hopefully you got it in your Bible or you got it on your app or you're reading, reading along with me on the screen here in Compass and True North. And if you're sitting on the patio today, you're crazy, all right? And so I'll just tell you that right now. Matthew 5 verse 23. So Jesus is teaching now. Um, the listeners have a different political and, and religious ideology than he does. That's why when he breaks this down for them, this is, this is different. Listen to what he said. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, now, time out. Everybody who was a Jew, to be a good Jew, you presented a sacrifice at the altar in the temple because you needed the forgiveness of sins. So you would go at least once a year to the temple to sacrifice an animal, and that blood would cover your sins. So when he says this, everybody there goes, yeah, yeah, I've done that. It 
at that time was one of the most religious acts you would ever do. That's how big this statement is. So if you're going to go and present a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, which they go, wow, that's, that's big time. Listen to what he says. And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. So you're on the way. You've got your, you've got your sacrifice that you're going to go down. And you're going to kill that animal. The blood of that animal is going to cover your sin, which was the system that was set up. It was weird, but it was the system that was set up at the time. Here's how big a deal this is. The most spiritual act you're probably going to do, you need to set that aside. You need to go to the person that you know has trouble with you. And look at what he says. Leave your sacrifice. Go and be reconciled to that person, meaning make reconciliation, make peace with them. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Meaning, God cares as much about this as he does this. Does that make sense to everybody? So don't say, well, I'm going to worship and do all these things here, but not be right here. Basically what he's saying is, you can make the sacrifice, but it's not going to mean anything. Because if you're not right like this, then you're not right like this. And then he goes on and he says this, when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Find a reconciliation, find, recon, like reconciling your checkbook, bring it into alignment is really what that means. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, you'll hand you over to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. What he was saying was, we have one job, and our job, not anybody else's job, our job as a follower is to live like this, period. But what? That's our job, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Would you pray with me? Right where you're standing this morning in one of our rooms, maybe you're watching online today, you're out of town for the holiday weekend, would you just ask the Lord to speak to you, would you? Would you ask him to show you areas that you need to be better, would you? Father, I don't know how you do this, but you do it every week. God, would you step into this room for those of us that know you and speak directly to our hearts for those of us in this room that go, Mike, I don't really know where I'm at with the Lord. Would you shine the light into our hearts for us to see who you are today? So God, speak to us. Show us. May we be people that live at peace with everyone. And Father, that is my prayer, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for your seat, I'm going to ask you to do something very spiritual. It could feel very awkward. So if you're new to church, it could feel awkward. Here's what you've got to ask somebody around you when you introduce yourself to them. you got the Packers or Niners, all right, or the Titans or the Chiefs. All right, turn around, find somebody around you, introduce yourself to them. Right. If you're like, Mike, what is that? You're going to hate North Star, all right? You're just going to hate it. I'm going to have to let you down, but it's going to be good. We got two former Falcon coaches, which breaks your heart, going against each other this afternoon. So it's going to be a good, good afternoon football. So 
How in the world do we learn to do this? If we can live in a bubble or we can live in a vacuum, living at peace with everyone would be easy. But the reality is our, <laughs> we are thrust into a world of being around people. In the home, in our offices, in our dorms, in our na- we're, we're always around different collections of people. Now, I want everybody to look at me. I'm going to say this, and we're going to dive into it. God cares how we live Monday to Saturday, not just what we do on Sundays. Monday to Saturday is what this is about. It's how we live in the world that God's put us in. Because you got to think, we, we get saved, we come to know Christ. Well, if he didn't have another plan for you, he would have taken you home to be with him. But he left us here. He left us here to be around people. And he cares how we are around people. So how in the world do we learn to be a peacemaker? Some of us aren't peacemakers. So I heard Tony Dungy, Dungy say this years ago, the legendary football coach, he said, if you've been in class in school or in the office over two weeks and you don't know who the class or office jerk is, there's a reason, all right? And so it might be you, all right? And so hopefully, hopefully we look at this and we see ourselves in it and we go, oh, man, I, here's the easiest thing today is to see the person we struggle with and we want to point this out to them. That's not what today's for. This isn't for you to be elbowing the person beside you to go, this is for you, all right? This isn't the purpose, all right? I'm not trying to get counseling out of this, all right? And so that's not the purpose. The purpose of today is to take out the mirror and look in the mirror and go, man, where do I struggle in being a peacemaker? Where do I struggle with this in my journey? Pen, pencil, something to write with. I want you to write down a couple thoughts. How to be a peacemaker. Well, in the words of Jesus, as he tells us this story, he tells this, number one, start the conversation. As a peacemaker, you own starting the conversation. So two principles. If you remember, what's the next word? If you remember, it's up on the screen. If you remember, y'all are going, what am I supposed to remember? Is this a quiz? I mean, what's going on here? So help me out real quick. It's, it's on the screen. I've, I've given you the answers class. All right, and so if you remember, do what? Your job. It doesn't say if you remember, wait on them to come. It says if you remember, you go. Well, that's where this gets tricky. They may not appreciate it. They may not acknowledge it. They, in fact, may reject it, not your responsibility. Your responsibility is if you remember what is our job, to go. So this guy's walking to the altar, this person's walking to the altar, they're making their sacrifice, and they remember that there's somebody that they've hurt or they, this person has been hurt by maybe something we said or we didn't even mean God cares that this is right. I don't know if you've ever met somebody that everywhere they go, they just leave broken relationships and shattered pieces. It's like they show up in an office, everybody's getting along, and you let them in there five minutes, and they're already mad at somebody, and somebody's mad at them. And Well, he's saying, that's not how I called you to live. If you remember, go. And then the second part of that, he said, settle your differences. What's that last word? Settle your differences quickly. Don't wait. Why? Because when you wait, 
it never gets better. It always gets worse. When you wait. All right, so I'm just going to tell you, a lot of y'all, we know each other like this. We don't know each other. So I hate conflict. I don't dislike it. I hate it. I will avoid it at all cost. I like peace. I like everybody to be happy, and I will avoid it, even though I know it needs to be dealt with. And it doesn't get better by avoiding it. Settle your differences quickly. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a splinter. You let a splinter get there, it's not a big deal. As long as you pull it out. You don't pull that splinter out, what's gonna happen? It's gonna get infected, and it's gonna get large, it's gonna get nasty, pus is gonna be in there. Well, the same thing happens to our hearts. Sometimes we just gotta get the splinter out. We gotta get the splinter out quick. Now, is it easy getting the splinter out? No, I remember when our kids would get a splinter, it was like emergency surgery. We'd have to hold them down on the floor and we'd get their legs. I'd get their arms and her mom was a nurse so we gave her the tweezers and she'd pull the little stick out like this. But I knew this, you let that sit in there for any length of time, we're gonna have big problems. Well, the same thing is, and when we have problems like this, you let it sit for a little bit of time. What began as something not even big will cause us not to speak for years. And, and all of a sudden, this dislike becomes anger, and that anger becomes bitterness, and that bitterness just soils us, and it gets infected. And then we're not just mad at them. We're, we're, we're jerks to everybody around us. And we don't even know it. It's because we didn't settle something quickly. Number two, listen first. One of the first principles Jesus gives us in the New Testament, through the writings of the New Testament, is to listen first. All right, let's be honest. How many of you would say it's easier to speak first than listen first? Raise your hand. If you lie in church, God bless your soul, all right? So it's easier for me to speak first. I'm always, in fact, while I'm listening, I'm preparing what I'm gonna say in advance, right? I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm preparing my case. I didn't hear a word you said because I'm coming back with my stuff. Listen to what James says. Understand that James was the brother of Jesus, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be all, what's the next word? What's the next word? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And actually what it means is even slower to become angry. Quick to listen, why? Because so much of our world's problems caused by we don't listen. We hear what we think we hear. We didn't listen to them. We didn't hear them. How many marriages of a couple now that are in disarray, they're like this. So every, and we'll just take marriage here for a second. Every marital couple begins at the altar like this. They say, I do like this. And, and it's honeymoon and it's wonderful. Then they get jobs and then they turn shoulder to shoulder and they do their jobs. And it's good as long as they keep coming back together, right? But the minute they don't come back together and they go do their jobs and they take a step away, all of a sudden now there's distance between them. Then they go, well, we'll have kids because that'll bring us together. <laughs> okay, all right. And so then they get here and then they get here and they get here. How much of that could have been solved if both partners would have been quick to listen? They would have worked harder at listening first than they did, than they did hearing what they wanted to hear. 
So here's the phrase I want you to write down. Here's a little, here's a little free therapy this morning. Right, here's the phrase I want you to write down. I hear you saying, when someone says something to you in a conflict situation, respond back with, I hear you saying this. And many times they'll go, that's not what I was saying. What I was saying was this, when we've already, we've already caught a disagreement. But when we listen, we understand where they're coming from. And a lot of times we're able to go, I see, okay, I think I, I, think I know now. But we don't listen. So I've told this story before. If you've heard it, I'm sorry. But it is the picture of what happens in our hearts when we listen. So Casey was growing up. He was probably 10, 11, somewhere in there. Maybe 11. I think he was 11 because I remember the team he was on. 11 years old, we're at a baseball tournament in Stone Mountain over in the Stone Mountain area. It was a Saturday morning, 9 a.m. game in Stone Mountain. So every parent is just thrilled to be there, all right? And so, and, and they've got their team. We've got our team. It's a tournament, right? There's like 100-something teams in the tournament. Our goal is to win the tournament. We've already lost the game, so we ain't going to win the tournament. But anyways, it's a, it's a big game. Y'all probably saw it on, you didn't see it, all right? And so really, <laughs> nobody was there. And so um, a call didn't go our way. We thought, and it was, sort of, it was a big call in the game, we thought the kid did a check swing and went all the way around, which would have been the third out of the inning, and it would have changed the whole game because they ended up, because it wasn't, they didn't call it a strike. I mean, the umpires missed, they missed it. But anyway, so because they didn't, they didn't call it a strike, it, it kept the inning going. This was a this was huge. So I said what I needed to say out of the dugout. And at the end of the inning, I run out, before I go to the third base coaching box, I run out to the, the field umpire because the home plate umpire was hard for them to see. Field umpire's got a great view of the swing. I mean, this is, and so I'm just, as I'm running out, I just said, you really don't think they swing? And this was the guy's response. It was a lady umpire behind the plate, man umpire in the field. The guy goes, coach, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know if, you're, if the kid swung or he didn't swing. I, I really don't know. And I was, nobody's ever said this in an argument before. I'm like, oh, really? I mean, you don't, you don't know? He goes, let me just tell you how it is, bud. He said, that lady behind the plate? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's my wife. <laughs> he said, if you think for a second I'm going to overrule her, you're crazy. I went, I have no problem with that call, all right? And I went to, I went, I went to coach because it, it, was, it changed everything when I got a chance to listen, Right? I understood. I got it a little bit better. We are so quick to speak, and we are so slow to listen. And I'm telling you, wars can be created because of our inability to hear what somebody's saying. We just don't care. Point number three, ready? Attack the problem, not the person. See, this is where it gets ugly. All of a sudden, it's not about they did. I want you to write these two words down. They did. It becomes they are. Big problem. All of a sudden, it's not about the problem anymore. It's about the person. Person. You always, because you are from, now we're attacking the person. The problem, we don't remember what the problem is. Now it's personal. 
And it may be in our marriage, it may be in our office, it may be in a dorm, it may be, I've watched this destroy teams, coaching staffs, because we begin to attack the person. We're not even attacking, we're not even dealing with the problem anymore. Look at what Ephesians said. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. This is so big. Listen to what Paul said. Making allowance for each other's, what does it say next? Nobody's perfect, and neither are you. Sometimes we say things we don't mean. Sometimes things come out of our, our job is to make an allowance for that. And, and in any relationship, if both people are working towards the same goal, we'll fix it. But the minute we begin to attack the person and we don't attack the problem, we don't make an allowance for each other's faults. In a, in a marriage situation, I always say, choose to believe the best about each other. If I believe Anne has my best interest in mind, I'm gonna handle the response completely differently than if I think she's out to get me. Well, the same thing in a work environment or a team environment. Listen, what, listen to Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. When I utter words, and we did a sermon on this a couple months ago, am I throwing rocks that hurt or am I words blocks that we build with? You don't have a great team? You don't have a great office? Don't, don't let your language go to a person. You can't get it back. Because the minute that foul and abusive language comes out, it's personal. I don't, I don't think he's saying, never use, what he's saying is now you're attacking them as a person. Well, Mike, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, 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 they won't hurt you. They'll destroy you. You may remain married the next 30 years, but they never forgot what you said to them. I told you guys the story. I told this at a marriage conference Ann and I did last year. And I was dealing with a couple, and she was talking about he was super abusive to her with his words, never physically, but with his words. And he's like, you're crazy. I've never done that. In our second session, we're sitting in my office. And he said, I've never done that. And she pulled out her phone, and she had recorded it, and she pushed play. What do you say? You've just taken the legs out. So are my words building us up or are my words tearing us down? See, we, we've got to be able to look at this and go, I'm going to attack the problem, not going to attack the person. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you this. Life is short. Can we all agree on that? Life's short. Don't use this short life to leave a trail of tears everywhere you go. Make people glad to see you coming, not glad to see you going. I want to be a person that when I show up in a room, people don't go, oh, dear Lord, all right, and they start going the other way. And here's the, here's the struggle. I'm just going to be gut level honest with you. Here's the struggle for Ann and I growing up. This is the easiest part of my job. I love this. I do this all day. I'll never run out of stuff to talk about. I love it. Hardest part of my job, living it Monday to Saturday in front of my kids. 
Last thing I wanted to do is raise a group of kids that said, two kids that grew up and said, yeah, that's what dad said on Sunday, but that's not who he was on Monday. Yeah, he attacked first. You should have seen, seen how he talked to Ann. Should have seen how he talked to my mom. Should have seen how he talked to us. Talked to us like we were idiots. See, ladies and gentlemen, God left us here in this world to live around people. For, am I perfect? No, I got plenty of people in the room that can let you know, no, I'm not. I don't have my kids up here to interview them about it either. It's none of your business, all right? And so, but, but I'm trying. I'm trying like you're trying. Here's the one benefit of this job that I have. I do enough funerals to know how short life is. Life's too short to be wrong with everybody. It's just too short. It's just not worth it. Here's the phrase I probably use more than everything, everything else. And I want you to just write this down. I'm going to move on to point four. Ready? We're just going to agree to disagree. That's okay. We don't see eye to eye on it. We just agree to disagree. Well, Mike, I believe it's this. Well, I really felt like it was this. But you know what? Hey, we may all get to heaven one day. We're both wrong. I don't know. Let's just agree to disagree. They're not caving to me. I'm not caving to them. We're just going to say, I'm going I'm to choose our relationship over choosing to win the relationship. Does that make sense to everybody? Point number four, be willing to change. When you're wrong, admit you're wrong. Be willing to change. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. We may not ever agree, but it doesn't mean I'm going to let this relationship be wrong. So I, I went to Liberty University for college and our founder back then was a guy named Dr. Jerry Falwell. Dr. Jerry Falwell, if you were around the media back then, he either loved him or you hated him. He was one of the two. He stood for what he believed. But I'll tell you this about Dr. Falwell. I never met a person that knew him that disliked him, ever. Well, back during that time, Hustler Magazine was run by a gentleman named Larry Flint. Larry Flint was a perverse nasty guy. Well, they posted pictures in one of his magazines about Dr. Falwell and his mom and this most perverse stuff you've ever heard. They ended up having to go to court over it. At the end of court, Larry Flint said, would you like to fly with me? I'll, my plane and I'll drop you back in Lynchburg. And Dr. Falwell said, well, that'd be great. And that began a, a long friendship with the two most opposite people you could ever put together. The day Dr. Falwell died, Larry Flint issued a statement, and the statement was this. I have never met a man I was more different than, and I've never met a man I respected more. I've never met a man I was more different than. There was nothing about their lives that was alike. But I've never met a man I respected more. And this is what he said. I 
loved Dr. Falwell. Why? He chose peace over going, I hate you because of what you believe. He wanted him to believe. Therefore, he chose peace. To have peace with others, I must first be at peace in my heart. Some of us, we don't have peace because we're not at peace. We've never let Christ, as Colossians says, rule our hearts. Everybody look at me and I'm done. God cares how you live. He cares about your relationships. He cares how you treat people that agree with you and he cares how you treat those that disagree with you. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're sitting here today and you go, Mike, I, uh, I don't know Jesus. You were talking about this today and I, I want to be all those things, but the peace of Christ has never ruled my heart. Can I lead you in a prayer to meet him? Could I? It goes like this, dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you lived for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again just for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my personal Lord and Savior today. Boy, that's when the peace of God begins to rule your heart when you're at peace with God. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mike, I'm a believer, but some of this was personal today because uh, I attack first. I don't listen well. And I don't know if the people closest to me believe me or trust me. Boy, just would you just talk to the Lord real quick? Father, we're going to give you this time of these next few minutes for you to re-engineer and rework our hearts for us to be who you've created us to be. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, today is such a heavy, heavy thing. This next song is not for you to sing, not for you to stand. It's a song that I want you to just close your eyes. If you want to, you can look up. You can pray. I want you to listen to the words, the power of the words in this song, both in Compass and True North, and hear what God has to say to you, would you?